because making games is easy. Right? Right. It's Behind the Line Radio with your host, Kinetic. And it starts now. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Behind the Line Radio. Today, we're going to be talking about, well, I suppose we're going to be talking a bit about a new release from Supercell called Clash Royale. Although we're not exactly talking about the game, but what happened before it got released. And in particular, the fact that it was released before it was released. And this is what's known as soft launch, particularly in the mobile area, but it can happen in others as well. So, joining me again to discuss this whole concept, once again, my friend Marco. How are you doing today? Pretty good, Nick. Thanks for having me again. All right. So, you and I have both dealt with, you know, soft launch titles, and I think Supercell is actually pretty interesting in this because they have they have released things in soft launch that look like they're good products. They looked at the, like they're actually going to, you know, release it worldwide, but they're actually pretty willing to kill things late if they're not if they don't think it's high enough quality. Now, that's not always the case with soft launches. Usually it's by the time you get into your late countries, it's pretty much just the final you know, coat of paint before actually releasing it to everybody. So I find it kind of noble, you might say, that uh, Supercell is is willing to, to, you know, put everything through all its paces, give it every chance. And if it's not, it, it could even be something they think is successful, but mm-hmm. uh, they don't want to release something below what they think is worth releasing. Now, it's also Supercell, and they have big enough hits to be able to give them the option to not release something, even if they think it's successful, just because they don't think it would be successful enough. Mm-hmm. But uh, I, I I do still kind of uh, respect that. I don't know if you've heard of that particular side of it, but uh, I, I remember there was a Spooky Pop and another one that got as far as Canada and Canada, for those who don't know, is usually pretty much the last step before everybody in the world can see it. Right, especially for U.S. developers. <laughs> Canada, gateway to the world <laughs> yes. for mobile games. <laughs> That's something they have over the United States, mm-hmm. I suppose. <laughs> but but you and I have worked on a lot of games. Yes. Uh, a lot of games that went through soft launch. Um, and I figured we could sort of talk a bit about some of our experiences with it. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, not only have I worked on a lot of games that have gone through soft launch, also worked on a lot of games that haven't gone through soft launch. And uh, doing that can be pretty disastrous because you, uh, you <laughs> you're going, ha- you really you're firing blind. Yeah, you have no idea what is going to happen, um, and if you're not prepared for it, you're you're going to fail. Um, yeah. and, and a lot of times, uh, when that happens, uh, jobs are on the line. Mm-hmm. Um, and things like that. So soft launch is a, a great thing, not only for consumers, because we can get the game tuned and working right and supporting everybody so they have a good experience, but also for the studio that's making it because uh, you need to make sure everything's working right so you're ready for success if you do actually get it. You know. Yeah, yeah. Actually, <laughs> right. I don't know if you saw this, but um, under the article, one of the enthusiasts commented that they uh, they now they understand the process of soft launch a lot more, although they still don't, uh, they're still not a fan of it. And I don't know. Um, I kind of think that, um, it's, it's a difference between, do you want a game 
that's based entirely on the developers and the designers intuition or something that's based on the metrics of how people actually use the thing. Mm -hmm. And some of it's not even exactly, you know, core stuff. Some of it's just polish. Like what's the best way to construct a tutorial? What's the best way to design the menu? What's mm -hmm. the best payout for uh, a certain action in the game? A lot of this stuff happens. I mean, soft launch, I actually didn't even touch on this in the, uh, in the article, but soft launch is also where you do your AB testing. Uh, right. I don't know if you've got much experience with that one, Marco. Yeah, um, we started to do that a lot more recently, and uh, it definitely pays off. Um, that's one thing I was going to add uh, in this podcast that wasn't in the article as well, is that um, a lot of marketing testing is done in soft launch as well. Also true. Yeah. You know, you want to make sure your descriptions and your keywords and your screenshots and your feature graphics and everything like that are the best they can possibly be. Because like when you said in the article, once you go worldwide, you can be spending quite a bit of money, uh, oh, yeah. you know, doing user acquisition and marketing and PR and all that stuff. So you that's your first shot. That's your big splash. <laughs> you don't get a second chance to make a first impression. Exactly. And that's also that's also particularly in mobile. That's where you're pushing to get featuring on iTunes or Google Play. And that's where your real money is, if you can get that. Right, because everybody that goes to the App Store then sees that. You know? Yeah, if you can get prime featuring, yeah. But uh, to, to step back a second here to A-B testing, for those who don't know what A-B testing is, at least with respect to games, you can have a game that's released, and when it hits the server, the server sends back some configuration information. And that configuration information, kind of like I said earlier, it'll be like, what is your reward? How much do things cost in-game? A lot of little tuning numbers. Say, I'm going to defeat this enemy and I get 100 gold coins, or I could get 200 gold coins that I can spend on other stuff, based on what this configuration is. Now, the interesting thing is, because these are hitting the server, your user, you, can be put into different buckets or different groups of users. And each of these different buckets can be given a different configuration. Then, the uh, this actually goes to analytics, which will track all the different buckets of users and see, like, okay, these different users stick around longer. They're more likely to spend money. They just all around seem happier and more engaged in the game. So that configuration is probably the good one. And that's what A-B testing is. It's you're sending out these different configurations, you're comparing them side to side, so you can see which configuration actually works better. Mm -hmm. And that can be done with uh, actual gameplay or even with assets like screenshots, icon, things also, like that. Um, yeah, you can, yeah, can A-B test all of that stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, Google Play uh, Console actually sets up a lot of stuff for A-B testing your store assets. Mm -hmm. they're, they're actually kind of slick like that. Yeah. Um, and then there was another thing you, you mentioned in there uh, after A-B testing. Which? Uh... I, can't <laughs> I can't remember where you went off to now. Um, um, now I was talking about marketing assets, just marketing oh, assets. Yes, marketing. Yeah. Yes, because um, there's a lot of work that goes into all of that stuff. You got, you got a team of artists that will work to try to put in the best banners you see stuff on facebook ads or the stuff that shows up if you're playing a mobile game and a little ad pops up you know someone has to provide those art assets you figure out exactly what appeals to users not only what appeals to users but what appeals to the users that you want in the game or what uh say you've got this banner ad that just 
it 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 drives users in like gangbusters and you know you can get like you spend one dollar you're getting a hundred users in something about this is just magical and you're 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 only spending a penny per user you're bringing in the problem is they stick around for about five minutes and then they're gone 100 percent of the time you spend a penny for users that give you absolutely nothing <laughs> as opposed to this other banner ad to make things equally ludicrous with these hypothetical numbers you're spending one dollar per user but that user comes in and 100 of the users that you're bringing in that way spend they, they hang around for weeks and spend like two bucks on average mm -hmm. you know one of them's bringing in way more users but the other one's bringing in you know people that'll actually you know, pay your bills right and and like i say all the time man business got a business <laughs> That's actually um, something I wanted to talk about too. Is uh, there are certain territories that are common to soft launch in? Um, some, a lot of them are uh, New Zealand, Australia, um, some of the Asian ones, uh, Singapore, Malaysia, Vietnam, uh, the Philippines, and then Canada is usually once you're getting close to uh, global launch, but it's very important to understand the territory that you're soft launching oh, yeah. a game in, in as well, because uh, I've definitely learned some lessons from <laughs> from that. You're, you're uh, not going to monetize well in the Philippines. You might no, get great users in no. there, but it's probably not going to monetize very well. Right, and um, I mean, you'll learn really valuable lessons about uh, the demographic, um, if they pay, can they even pay? because some regions have some very hard restrictions and it's very difficult for people to actually make payments in an in online store. Mm -hmm. um, South America is an example of that, where some countries, they don't have credit cards. So to actually you know, put funds into a Google Play account or iTunes account, you have to go to your bank and get a special thing and then add it to there, and it's, it's a hassle. Yeah. Um, so it, you, know, you can't expect a lot of revenue from those territories or high conversion rates because people in those territories don't spend. So that actually goes back to having very set and clear goals for your soft launch. Um, you need to know what you're trying to test and then pick the regions that you can test those specific things in. So for those countries where it's difficult for people to make payments or they don't use the, the same storefronts um, that the rest of the world does, uh, you really need to identify that and make sure you're testing other stuff there besides monetization and conversion. Um, and by conversion, if anyone's not aware, that means from a free player to a, someone that pays in the game. Um, <clears throat> we recently did a soft launch and we released in Google Play in Vietnam, and this particular game had a requirement to um, sign into Google Play uh, because it was a server-based game. We needed an account system uh, so that we can link your account to your device and keep your data. Um, what we actually found is that uh, 50 to 60% of people would launch the game, get to that screen, and then quit the game and never play again. Um, what we found out is that a lot of people in Vietnam actually prefer a different uh, Android App Store uh, outside of Google Play, and they don't. A lot of people don't even have Google accounts, so we had a fifty percent plus drop off at that screen. <laughs> and you know, sign-ins can be a, a total <laughs> bitch. They they can just completely ruin your user onboarding flow. Right. I I wrote in the past about Mobagay. Mm. Uh, this was I, I wrote about it after uh, Nintendo and uh, DNA. Uh, uh, 
that whole sort of merger cross ownership thing happened for DNA to work with Nintendo on their mobile offerings. Mm -hmm. And of course, if you're going to talk about DNA mobile offerings, you have to talk about Mobage. Or actually, I was uh, recently corrected that it should be pronounced uh, Mobage. Mogabe. Um, I've already confused myself, so it doesn't I've heard really it, matter. I've heard it so many ways, uh, it doesn't yeah. matter at this point. Yeah. <laughs> no, apparently apparently, this person who corrected me said they worked there for several months and, it, and thought it was called Mobage. So, that's another one I've heard. <laughs> but uh, yeah, the, this, the, the Mobage system used a sort of cross-game login, so you could have one account that went across multiple games. But the problem is you had to log into it. And with our game, the moment anybody hit that login screen, we got like a, uh, what was it, like a 30% lost, 30% of our users at that screen. Yep. And so we were trying to do any kind of trick we could to kind of engage users before they hit that screen. We moved the login screen around. Didn't really help. And this is one of the things we actually saw while we were in soft launch and we were trying to do everything we could to mitigate this loss mm -hmm. and we ne this particular title we never really could uh it made it to worldwide but uh dna were never really behind it they never gave it much in the way of marketing now i i didn't have any visibility to any of the financials i don't know if it was going to be roi positive on user acquisition and if i went over anybody's head that means if you spend money to bring users in, that the users you bring in will cover what you spent to bring them in and then some. Mm -hmm. So positive return for invest return on investment for user acquisition. Uh, that it's entirely possible that this game that wouldn't have been the case for, but it certainly didn't help that we were saddled with losing a third of them on this screen that we were being forced to use due to business concerns that were also outside of my sphere of influence mm -hmm. fun with sign-ins login funnels startup funnels because yeah you you really you cannot separate uh soft launch i suppose you can but it'd be really bad to separate soft launch from analytics because if you didn't really have any analytics then it would just be you go in every day and look at the comments on the store and see what people thought yeah <laughs> um which is useful in a way but <clears throat> then you know like you're there's there's still not much point to it yeah yeah and you know i i remember we were actually working together when i first encountered analytics mm -hmm. and at first it really confused me because i was still thinking of things in terms of uh box almost like a boxed product mm -hmm. you released something and that was it it you're, you're not exactly going to update it. i mean you know where we were at, we weren't releasing game updates. Um, this is on feature phones, I think. And uh, uh, so that didn't really exactly support new versions of the game or downloaded updates or DLC or anything like that. Mm -hmm. But we were talking about putting uh, analytics in there, and it just confused the hell out of me because it's like, well, why do you need to know what they did? They already bought it. But yeah, uh, yeah. in retrospect, even with a paid app, even without uh, the platform supporting updates and and anything like that, it makes sense because you would want to understand what the people are doing in your game. Do they actually go back and play it again? Are they interested in one feature over another? If they like one feature over another, well, okay, that'll direct what you do in a future game. Mm -hmm. And really, all of this is 
so critical in soft launch so you can understand what people like. I mean, you might think that you're building a game, and this is what I mean about how a game that's designed either on the intuition of the, the lead designer or actual data. Maybe the lead designer thinks that the game is entirely based on this certain mechanic, but when people play it, they don't use that at all. They use something else. So really, your design has to pivot in response to what the users want. And you really want to have that done before you hit worldwide and put your big marketing push out there. Yeah, especially on mobile, you know, having pretty much games as a service now. Um, you need to kind of give the people what they want in order for them to continue playing. Yeah. Um, so it's extremely important to understand what they want. Um, <clears throat> that's uh, something else I wanted to talk about. Talk about was um, uh, another, yeah, like what you touched on analytics being a big part of soft launches because you're you're getting actual user data as well, mm-hmm. um, and generally uh, a lot more of it than you can get through, say, a focus test or something like that. Oh, God, yes. Yeah, so, you know, for a focus test, if you bring people in or you do it through a company, you're looking at, like, you know, 50 people or something. Or maybe 50 people uh, up to a max of a couple hundred, you know. Um, and that's going to be that pretty be a expensive. focus test is a couple hundred people. Oh, well, you know, over a few sessions maybe or, or something like that. <clears throat> but you're going to have to pay for a facility uh, pay for devices, pay to bring those people in, pay them for their time, probably have food or something like that, um, pay for all the recording equipment if you're not using a house that's doing it and all that stuff. So you're looking at spending a lot of money there and getting data from maybe 100 people, a couple hundred people max. Um, whereas in soft launch, you just release the game in that territory and pretty much you know anybody that downloads the game from that territory you know you, you're going to get data from them and uh you might do a little bit of a marketing spend in soft launch territories um oh you should you want to make sure that you get enough people in there to have a statistically significant sample size right right but you're you know you're talking you know at least thousands in soft launches as opposed to hundreds in a focus test so oh, yeah. if anybody wonders you know why why don't you just do focus testing and you know in a closed environment instead of soft launching, because they might think that that's you know um, we're using people or something like that. Um, it's there. There is a reason. <laughs> um, oh yeah, because also with a focus test, even if it's only a, a you know a small fraction of the number of people you get in soft launch, they also have a very limited amount of time with it. Right. I, I sat in on a, a few days of a, of a focus test, and it was you know I think they had an hour each. Something like that? It's usually about that, yeah. Yeah, so they, they did not have enough time to get a full sense of the game. Right, and you know, for a lot of mobile games, you want this to be, you know, a, a game that people play for a long time. You're aiming to have people play for months, um, if not years. So, you know, people coming in for about an hour for a focus test is, you know, valuable, but not as valuable as the soft launches and getting those large numbers and uh, you know a lot of data in from actual users of the game. Yeah, those uh, focus tests are more along the lines of what you do before soft launch, when uh, uh, probably more around when you're turning beta, somewhere around there. You, you're you're trying to finalize your design, yeah. and uh, you show it to people, and, the, and they'll give you a sort of broad strokes how mm-hmm. people who aren't associated with the development of the product think of it how they use it right we have we've actually um started doing soft launches even early or not soft launches excuse me focus testing um 
sometimes pre pre green light even just to, just to test the concept where yeah. uh, they don't ac- get actual gameplay, but we get fans of this and this demographic and just say, you know, hey, do you like this? Do you think it's something interesting? So, like you said, it's not just one designer being like, hey, I think this is a good idea and this will work. Um, but we'll take that and then we'll do a, a small focus test and to see if there is actually any value in that idea. Um, all the way before we even greenlight the project. And then we'll do, of course, one, like you said, around you know alpha before beta uh, to get the gameplay and stuff like that down. But uh, focus testing can start even way before that where soft launch can't. Yeah. yeah you, you're, if if uh, someone's actually soft launching like a proof of concept build or an alpha build, then they're being abusive and using the customer. Right. Right. But uh, for the most part, that's not what people do. Unless you're like an indie, then you have no other choice. You know? Yeah, there yeah. are cases of that. But for the most part, I think indies also, uh, the scope of the project is so much less much of the time that it's it, there, there isn't that big of a difference. Mm-hmm. Um, something like, a, um, oh, I can't remember the name of the guy. Dong Nguyen or something like that. The guy who did Flappy Bird and... Uh, oh, yeah. I, I can't recall his name right now, but... Yeah. yeah. He, he, his, his games are, you know, they're good. They're small, though, so mm-hmm. not a whole lot to them. I want to kind of go off on a tangent here and say, you know what? When a Flappy Bird came out, there's a whole bunch of backlash to it, people saying that they thought it was a terrible game, and I completely disagree. I think it's quite a fine game. Mm-hmm. It's a small and simple game, but uh, it's like, you know, those little, uh, it's like the video game equivalent of ball in a cup where it's, just, <laughs> it's, it's tricky and engaging and you want to keep doing it to, to try to get better at it. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, yeah, uh, a lot of people said it's not a good game. I, I, it's okay as, as a game, but um, the numbers don't lie. You know? Oh, yeah. So I mean, I, I'm not going to say it's, it's. You know, some great work of art. I mean, it's no shadows, shadow of the Colossus, or, or you know, anything like that. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's a small, it's a toy, it's a diversion, and it's fine at that. You know. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, it's bizarre. <laughs> Anyhow, yeah. Sometimes, and the other thing that's important about soft launch is to understand if a game, if your product is actually even viable. Mm-hmm. Because there's a lot of games that, that'll go out there and they just, once you start getting information from the market, you understand this will never, ever make money. Yeah. I uh, I don't remember exactly at which stage it was. I want to say it was soft launch. I worked on one product that went into soft launch and was doing so badly that I think it got pulled in about a day. Like it, it was just decided that, no, this game will never make money. And we're just going to kill it right now. We're not even going to bother doing anything else. It's mm-hmm. it's done. And it doesn't matter how much time, money, and effort went into the development. You start seeing stuff. And there might have been some other stuff going on with this particular project, too, that would you know not even warrant the effort to try to salvage it in the face of all the time, money, and effort that had gone into developing it. But it just kind of goes to show. It's like if you put it out there and you, you it's obvious that no one's playing it then of course like you're not gonna continue to put in any effort to support the servers to, to support the development to support the marketing when you release it into larger markets it's important to kill those things right 
Um, it really is. Uh, unfortunately, I've worked on games that have been killed in soft launch. Um, <clears throat> but there was really like no hope for those games. Um, oh, yeah. we, we tried everything we could um, within the time and budget that we had uh, to, to turn things around for it. But sometimes it just doesn't work. Um, and sometimes there's alternatives to, to just flat out killing it. But a lot of times uh, there's not. And it's probably the best thing to do rather than spend more time, money, overhead on uh, trying to fix something that just is proving to not work in the market. Yeah. And yeah. a lot of people would say, well, why don't you just kick it out the door to worldwide? You don't have to spend money marketing it. You don't have to spend money on anything else mm -hmm. and just let it sit there. Mm -hmm. And there are times when that can work. Uh, but a lot of the times you'd also have to take into consideration, I mean, certainly if you're at a bigger place, like what does it say not only about your library, but also to partners who might you might want to work with that you have this thing out there that you're not supporting? Yeah. I mean, it looks like you just have crud filling up your catalog. Right. And and, and to, to players, it'll, it'll, it could make you look second rate. To partners, it could make you look like you don't care. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, uh, I, you know what? I got to get a, a clip of Dave saying this for the intro and, and cause it's going to keep coming up. It's business got a business. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, another thing, I mean, just putting it out there and not doing anything with it still isn't free. Yeah. Especially <laughs> you know? if, if, if it's a, a game that connects to the server, you got to pay for the server. Right. It ain't free. You got to keep it up. You got to yeah. maintain those server costs. And if it's not going to cover the server costs, there is absolutely no reason to keep it alive. Exactly. Um, plus, if you have it out there and there are issues, you're you're talking about customer support overhead. People are going to write in, even if you're not officially supporting it. You're still going to get contacts, which still takes time for your support to deal with. Um, mm -hmm. You know, so that ain't free. No, it's not. And like you said, that your your reputation starts to get a hit mm -hmm. <laughs> if you put stuff out there and don't maintain it. So also true. Yeah. Also true. That's, you, start, uh, you start getting, you know, because <laughs> almost no matter what you put out there, there's going to be people who like it. And when they they have a problem with it, you, you're going to have someone like yelling at you. It's like, you don't care about this thing. Why don't you fix it? Blah, blah, blah. Been waiting X months for something that you obviously don't care. They start insulting you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so now we're on to customer support. Oh, it all ties together. It always all ties together. It's a surprisingly small industry in both headcount and, I, I guess, range of topics. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my. So, but there, you know, uh, one thing, one quick thing I'd like to touch on is just uh, there are times not to soft launch. Um, and, like, you you brought one up uh, when we were talking earlier about this was uh, – if you're under contract and you know this thing has to go out regardless of any other thing that goes on, you might not soft launch. You may still, uh, depending on the situation, but um, if there is uh, if there's not a reason to, this is just like a work for hire thing and uh, you're contractually obligated to get it out regardless of any other thing, then uh, it might not be needed. True. Yeah. Yeah. I mean... <laughs> I just said it, but it comes back again. It's, it's, if it's if you're the, your method of releasing is based on a contract, well, once again, business got a business. Yeah. Uh, and uh, it's also, I mean, you mentioned customer support. I mean, that's another thing that's important mm -hmm. with uh, 
with soft launches, you can start understanding, okay, these are particular problem spots for actual users. These are what we're getting support tickets for. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, it all, it all just, uh, there's so much, there's so much important stuff that you learn about your game while you're in soft launch. And I mean, it sounds like we're starting to circle some of the same topics, but they're really really big you know mm-hmm. yeah um one of the things you had in your article that is something you definitely usually learn in soft launch is how people try to exploit your game oh yeah uh, that's a big one and a... uh it's very important to learn how people are going to try to do that <laughs> yeah yeah you'll you'll run into you'll run into problems where people start uh uh breaking your game economy because I've said it before, and I'll say it again. It's it's you know the 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 amount of time you can possibly spend on QA is immediately dwarfed once you get the game out live, and this just provides you another couple rounds of being able to make sure that you know your game economy isn't completely broke ass <laughs> before you give it out to your you know biggest most important markets. Mm-hmm. Uh, Although actually, in my experience, there's several, there's there's kind of several tiers of uh, people figuring out how to exploit your game because it, well, it's small. People just kind of clue into stuff, mm-hmm. and and you'll find people here and there who start breaking stuff, and you have to kind of backtrack what they're doing to figure out how they're breaking your game. And then if your game gets big enough and it actually starts drawing the attention of hackers. Then you start getting into a whole new round of of uh, trouble <laughs> with your game. Yeah, not only hackers, but like there's farm farms out there and everything too. Yeah, yeah. Even for mobile games, which is kind of crazy, but they're they're out there. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it depends on on the game. It depends on how it works. But you know, you you tell me there aren't people out there who play Game of War who wouldn't be willing to spend you know plenty of money i mean they spend plenty of money on the game already as it is mm-hmm. but uh they that they wouldn't be willing to spend money to get you know a discount for their in-game items or mm-hmm. something because mm-hmm. uh although although with that particular game i'd be pretty uh, impressed if uh hackers found a way to exploit it because that game's i think that game uh, that game's pretty much entirely run on the server so the client doesn't have much authority over it. right right as as was the case with pretty much all games of that type, or that have been, uh, you know, real money economy and things like that nowadays. Yeah, you can't really host anything in the client anymore. <laughs> um, well, there there are. I, I'll I'll tell you one thing. Here here's another game, Puzzle and Dragon. Mm. You'd think that one is entirely server based, but you'd be partially wrong mm-hmm. because. You don't have to have a network connection to actually start up the game if you've already entered a dungeon. But it will register if you've completed the dungeon, and then when you get back to the uh, network connection, it'll register if you uh, won or lost. Right. And that means your client has authority for if you won or lost that dungeon. Mm. So even even with some of the most super secure games out there, there are moments where the client has authority and you have the window to get one over on the server. I don't know mm-hmm. if anyone's been able to exploit that one with PND, but uh, I know it's there just by way of logical reasoning. That's because, actually uh that's actually a really nice thing for them to do for users. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. uh it's really handy. I I noticed it because I mean, 
I do some security testing on stuff on my own and, and, you know, we have uh, jailbroken and rooted devices. And so you can do like memory address editing. And I was able to change how much gold it registered that I had collected. Mm-hmm. But when I was done with the dungeon, that number didn't matter. It, it gave me what I was supposed to get. Mm-hmm. So it's quite clear to me that when you enter a dungeon, the server actually tells you what monsters you're going to fight and what prizes you're going to win. <laughs> and then it's just a matter of did I win or lose. Ah, uh, yeah. So, but uh, yeah, speaking of localizing things, Puzzle and Dragon, also one that's a bit, probably still a bit Asian for, for most worldwide audiences, but uh, that's not stopping it from being quite successful anyway. Yeah, actually, um, I'm surprised by some of the people I, that I know out here that, that enjoy the game too. It's not the, the type that would normally play. Uh, that style of game or play many Asian games at all but uh, still pretty popular with some people out here even though they don't normally play that that sort of game Mm, I think it's just like the to me anyway or my theory is that it's just how easy it is Mm. Um, it's not your traditional you know match three where you can only move something one place you can move something it it feels like you can if you tried hard enough (laughs) you could outsmart it right um, so maybe that's it. Just that aspect of it gives you a little bit more um, agency. What's the word? Agency. Exactly. It gives you a little bit more agency to make you feel like you're doing more in the game. But I mean, it's uh, it, it is what it is. You're you're not really going to outsmart it, but you can find the optimal move. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, and you're capable of doing a lot more stuff. There's also a lot more combinations of creatures and powers. And I think one of the important things is that it has a pretty satisfying. Uh, uh, sort of level up curve for the creatures. Mm-hmm. Uh, a little grindy at some points, but that that kind of makes it when you actually get uh, another evolution of your creature, it makes it more satisfying. So right. They, they they might be on the grindy end of the sweet spot, but they're pretty well into the sweet spot. I would. Say. Yeah, I actually think that that game is a little less grindy than other ones I've played. Yeah. Um, there's there's definitely some games where you hit a very very hard experience wall, um, and it's impossible to move out uh past that without grinding a lot or paying Uh, and that is the kind of thing that you need soft launch to be able to tune (laughs) exactly it all comes together (laughs) kind of like we planned it even though we totally didn't (laughs) um yeah i mean the, the your game economy is so sensitive uh, I, I've worked on games where it feels like you're just grinding forever and you never get anything, uh, or you can make progress, but it doesn't feel like it's doing a whole lot for you un- until like, here's the thing that actually looks like it will do something and it's way out of reach and that's discouraging and it's going to make people want to stop playing the game mm-hmm. or the game just gives you too much free and there's actually no reason for you to spend money in the game. Mm-hmm. I've I've worked on one of those and it still kind of makes money and I entirely don't understand why because the game just gives you plenty. <laughs> Some people are just impatient though. Uh, that's I guess. Yeah. Um, all those uh, starter packs and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Something I I don't know I don't. Oh uh, yeah, uh, starter packs. That's another thing, and it and it kind of goes back to A/B testing. Like, what is a good starter pack? Because a good starter pack might uh, convert people, like you said, might give you more LTV for a user, might mean they pay more on average, mm-hmm. and it might retain them more if you give them a good option early at Actually, a good price. Uh, 
I have an example of a game, and they had the greatest starter pack I had ever seen in my life. Um, greatest in terms of good for the player or greatest in terms of business? Business, but also good for the player. All those okay. three points that you just touched on, it covered oh, okay. all, all of those three things in one starter pack. Um, so uh, I won't go into the, give the game name or anything. I'll just break down how it works. So this starter pack was three ninety nine. Uh, Interesting price. Yeah. In the starter pack, though, you got $50 worth of premium currency. The thing was, you had to log in 30 days to collect that premium currency. Um, On top. Okay, okay. I got got a question for you here. Uh Was that you had to keep logging in and then you get the whole thing? Or was it like $50 worth and every day you logged in, you got one thirtieth of it? Every every day you logged in, not 30 consecutive. Uh, that would have been a little harsh. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. Um, also good. But, you know, you're probably going to come back those consecutive days if you can just to get your stuff, right? Yeah. Because so, you want to get it as fast as possible. So it, it works out kind of as a 30-day retention tool as well. Um, not only was it a low price, you got a good value for it. It kept you coming back into the game. But that three ninety nine and the amount of premium currency that you purchased also put you into the VIP first VIP tier for purchasing in this game. So it gave you a taste of what it was like to be in the VIP system for the game. Uh, By VIP, you mean there was a game mechanic for this, or do you mean like what other people would call whales? Uh, no, it, there was an actual VIP system in the game. Okay. So if you purchased premium currency, the more you purchased, there were tiers that you could get into for VIP. And the VIP, being in the VIP system gives you certain perks and also gives you other exclusive offers that people that aren't VIPs don't get. Oh, so it it would also, it served to not only retain people in the game, but to retain people in this VIP tier. Yes. Which would have them continue to pay money. If they want to experience higher levels of the VIP tiers. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it kind of gave people... A great value, got them coming back, and gave them a taste of a different system and re-engaged them with new offers because they were part of that system. Okay. It was very well designed, whoever did that. <laughs> yeah, it, sound, it sounds... I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to have to suggest that to people. That's amazing. Yeah. A- and f- for anybody who's listening who may have any say in any of this, I would suggest trying that out. That sounds <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah. Um, so it worked out wow. for the users, and it works out for the developer as well. It's it's a yeah. great tool. <laughs> so one thing I'd like to point out, because uh, we're all talking about uh, uh, you know converting people, getting them to spend money, and so forth. Uh, to some people out there, this might sound like we're being callous, uh, that we're just talking about people like their wallets, and we're trying to get their money. And I'd like to point out that that's not true, uh, because, well, while there is some focus on stuff that can come across that way, and while there are some developers who I'm sure will be far less scrupulous and actually just try to have lazy money grabs and so forth, Mm -hmm. for the most part, actually, a lot of people in the games industry want to make good products, fun products, stuff that will enrich people's lives in some way. I mean, we know we're making just entertainment. This isn't going to be for the vast bulk of people 
playing a mobile game isn't going to be some life-transforming experience. But we do want to make things that will give you enjoyment and pleasure. And, and you know, with, with social games, kind of bring people together, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, and, I, oh, God, I feel like I've been saying it way too much in this, but I guess it's endemic with something like Soft Launch, where you're going to be talking about business, because business got a business. <laughs> yeah. Look, we do have... <laughs> someone's got to pay uh-huh. the fact of the matter is if if you're gonna you know run this game you're gonna want to make profit off of it if it's a good game you want to bring it to more people for that you need more advertising and for that you need people to pay for the game right and that's just part and parcel with how free-to-play works mm-hmm. i'm actually you glad. have to focus on getting people to want to pay for it and that's where again all the tuning and soft launch comes in. right I'm glad you brought that up because I, I just realized that we did kind of skip over that. But yeah, at the heart of everything, you still need a good game. Oh yeah, you could do all the testing and soft launch and tweak marketing and uh, tune the game and do all that stuff, but you still need a good game there. Um, yeah. So yeah, I'm glad that you brought that up because yeah, nobody working in the game industry wants to make a bad game or wants well, certainly not many. Yeah, wants or wants to make a game where it's just evilly designed to take your money unless that really is their goal you know but mm-hmm. for i'd say 90 you know 95 percent of people in the industry that's not the case we work that in the right. in the industry because we love games uh and because we want to make good games uh and be a part of a team that makes them and then put them out for people to enjoy so that that really is at the heart of everything um all the stuff we're talking about about marketing and conversion and uh retention and stuff like that that is stuff that is necessary for us to keep doing that mm-hmm. <laughs> and to, you know, it's like, I'm, I'm sorry, just because it's free <laughs> to play doesn't mean it's a charity. Yeah. Um, you know, so, but at the heart of everything is always a good game. Uh, and I'm, you know, I, I would hate to put something out that, uh, wasn't good knowing it wasn't good. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, also what soft launch will tell us if people just flat out don't like a game, <laughs> um, most of the time, and you know, it's not doing anything. It's costly. Most of the time, that game is going to be canceled. Yeah, yeah. And and rarely. I mean, and this this goes back to Supercell's approach. I mean, they they clearly want to make a good game. They've had multiple games get really late in soft launch and then get canceled mm-hmm. because it wasn't taking off the way they wanted to. Maybe I I mean I don't know what their reasoning was, but I I still got to respect the uh, their stance where if it's not doing what they want then they'll kill it yeah and i mean uh, i read an article that had another example i can't remember what the title was i played spooky pop when that came out and i was thoroughly underwhelmed mm-hmm. um but uh you know still that was the kind of game that i i can't help but use this phrase and i don't mean it to diminish other people uh but a lesser developer would probably have released spooky pop yeah just because they got that far in, they might as well kick it over the worldwide and see what it does. And that's another thing that you can do with games like that. We made a lot of hay about marketing, but uh, if you're, say, you got a game that's just kind of more or less covering its server costs without much to spare, you might say, oh, let's just kick it over to worldwide. We won't really spend any money on marketing it, but we, we might be able to get more users in without spending money on it, and those are called organics people that you didn't spend money on and they uh maybe they'll improve the fortunes of the game i mean it can't hurt to try 
mm-hmm. especially if you're a small outfit that doesn't have much in the way of a reputation. Now, if you're someone like Supercell, and this is what we were talking about before with reputation, if if they released all these games that they if they released all of the games that they killed, at this point we might look back and say nah, they 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 you know. They've had a couple where they hit it out the park, but, uh, you know, that's maybe one in five, mm-hmm. you know, and that's not the image that Supercell wants to present for themselves. They want to be everything that goes worldwide is a grand slam. Yep. And to dilute that with a mediocre game, not the direction they want to go. Right. Now, another thing they could do is, say, sell these games off to someone else. And sort of let them just do whatever they want with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, that might be sort of a stop loss thing there, but uh, they'd have to be very careful in the contract to make sure that you know all Supercell branding is taken out, the title is changed, some of the the, the artists changed because they have already put forth some marketing effort into it. Some of these because uh, c- when a Supercell game goes into soft launch and gets much traction, it makes news, and mm-hmm. that's why you know there was a lot of headway for Clash Royale. There was a lot of uh, uh, marketing for Boom Beach. Mm-hmm. That's how I know about Spooky Pop. You know, mm-hmm. the, they 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 make these headlines, and and that's just because it's Supercell. I mean, they're huge. But um, yeah, I mean, uh, Clash Royale was 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 something special. I mean, it looked like they were even. I've never seen this happen before. But on the Google Play Store, they had like this pre-registration thing <laughs> for a game that wasn't even out yet. So I'm going to guess what happened was they decided to go worldwide and uh, Google and maybe Apple had some sort of schedule in my, uh, already set for what they were going to feature. And it's like, okay, you're not going to go out this week, but you can go out next week. And when you go out next week, we can get, we can give you in the meantime, we can give you this like uh, pre-registration thing. They'll make your first week even bigger or something like that. I don't mm-hmm. know. It was weird. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, yeah, pre-register has been going on for a while. It's pretty strong okay. in uh, Asian countries in particular. Huh. Um, but uh, I'd honestly never seen it before on mobile. I have. Oh no, yeah, it's been it's been going like a. That and that might just be a function <laughs> of me actually not paying that much attention to the store. <laughs> well, um, it's not uh, done through the store a lot, uh, especially in the in the U.S. or North American market. Um, or even in Asia, um, a lot of it's done through companies that have a company website. Oh, oh, that, yeah. Uh, no, that's not what I'm referring to. I just, uh, yeah, with, yeah. with the Clash Royale, it was uh, specifically some sort of registration thing on the Google Play Store. Like right, if right. I, I looked for Clash Royale, and it said, uh, not available yet, register here, or something mm-hmm. like that. And it was in the Google Play Store. I'm like, oh, that's right. different. Right. No, that, that's, that um, is something new here. Yeah, for sure. Uh, those other pre-registration things like i've i've seen those um i am not aware of any significant impact of any of them that i've been associated with it though i am again not all of all that intimately uh connected to those so you know uh, if it had a great impact i may very well not have known not not in the states yet um it really depends on the company that's trying to do it and how they do it um it really works best if you have a large uh internal uh community first anyway uh, yeah. uh because trying to do it dry um out in the u.s is where it still hasn't picked up yet it's really really difficult there's some third parties you can go through right now um but they're still not getting the numbers that uh some companies in japan have i think just because they have such a good 
uh, network that they have uh, for their for themselves. Right. Um, but you can see upwards of 500,000 pre-regs uh, for a mo mobile game in Asia easily. Um, whereas out here, I think, uh, you know, I think 200,000 is the most I've seen. Maybe that, because, um, we, yeah, we, we've looked at, at it, uh, around at it, um, where I'm at right now, and uh, it's still not that big in the U.S., so we still haven't fully adopted it, but it's something that we've, we've been considering yeah, that's that's the kind of thing that you might do where you would, like you said, you may not get big results if you put one out dry, mm -hmm. but uh, you might say instead just you keep running small dry ones mm -hmm. just to see, just to sort of keep your finger on the pulse. Mm -hmm. Like if all of a sudden, like say you run 10 of them and at the last one you get somehow get triple the response, well, something's happening. Yeah, yeah. So... It, it it may just be something you just keep sort of pumping a little bit of money into because if you notice something's happening, it'll be worth it to be an early adopter. Yeah. So that much makes sense. Okay. Um, I think that covers most of uh, what I wanted to talk about. I don't know if there's anything else you wanted to touch on for the topic of soft launch. No, I was able to uh, hit all the topics that I wanted to cover about it. Okay, cool. So this is the part in the program where I like to have my guest, or me, I suppose, share a story from our experience in uh, video game production. Uh, Marco, do you have anything you'd like to share? And if you don't, uh, I think I got one handy. Okay, I didn't actually prepare anything for that today. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> uh, I keep catching people off guard with that one somehow. Okay, well, how about I... Um, hmm... I'm going to tell the story, and I'm going to have to change his name, because his <laughs> name is... You already know who I'm talking about. I think so. <laughs> uh, let's see here. I need... And the thing is, his name is so important to the story that I have to be careful with what I change it to. I mean, I trying to come up with something, I feel like Principal Skinner in one of the episodes of The Simpsons where he's trying to hide Lisa Simpson's name, uh -huh. and he said... Let's just call this person L. Simpson. No, that's too specific. Lisa S. <laughs> uh, let's see here. I've actually put some thought into this, and I never quite settled on anything. So you can, you know what? What about just calling him the the name from the uh, the musician that we reference? Just... I, I actually can't even remember that one. I just, all I can remember is the guy's actual name. Oh, uh, that was Mike Jones. Oh yeah, okay. Yeah. Okay. You can just call him. I think that's pretty safe. That that should be safe, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the surname was the one that gets really, really it's fair it's 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 not unheard of, but it's unique enough. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so this story starts. Marco and I are working together, and the manager is off on a trip somewhere. I think it was like a, a three week business trip or something. Mm -hmm. Uh probably to Europe. Or, oh, was that when he went to India? Oh, well, it doesn't really matter. He was out. I don't remember the time, yeah. <laughs> so while he's out, we get, and and a lot of the times in QA, especially in mobile QA, you're going to have like a fairly constant stream of people coming in on a contract and leaving. It's just part and parcel with QA is contract testing. It's a lot of contractors in QA. Anyhow, this guy comes in, we interview him, and we like him. And... As Marco said, we will name him Mike Jones. And the uh, one of the interesting things about this 
We hired him. The manager never got to meet him. He started working. The manager hadn't returned yet. And I believe at the end of the first week, was it, he quit? Yeah. For another job? Yeah. <laughs> so he, he got hired, started, and left the job all without having had the chance to meet the manager. Yep. <laughs> and somehow, I, I actually don't even know how this one started, but it was it was so funny how it catched on. It's just like, Mike who? Mike Jones? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And and Marco and I would actually, it wasn't uncommon for us to, to greet each other this way or, or just like randomly say it online to each other on a messenger. It's like, Mike who? <laughs> that, Mike Jones! That, that was, I think that, that started when Dave came, or came back and was like, wait, who, who was this guy? Oh, yeah! <laughs> Mike, Mike who? <laughs> so that's, that's I think that was when we started doing it because he had never gotten the chance to meet him and had no idea who he was. <laughs> We'd gone through the whole process of interviewing and onboarding and training. I don't think he then, even saw the resume. Yeah, no. <laughs> it's like we got the resume, got him in, yeah, interviewed him, hired him, and he quit so quickly. <laughs> it's just like to the manager, he was just this mystery person. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh god i don't i don't think he was even in a position to approve a time card once no <laughs> which which really should never happen yeah. <laughs> just exp- expenses in your department that you you never were privy to <laughs> it's just so wrong but yeah stuff like that'll happen in in qa too where it's just you know uh, this guy started, but uh, three days later, he got a better job offer. So, I mean, you can't really hold it against him, but uh, man, Mike who? <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, it's not as really not a good thing. Yeah, I don't hold it against him. You know, it's not a personal thing, but um, it's really not something you want to do in the game industry because the game industry is small. <laughs> you know, yeah. There's only so many places you're going to be, and chances are you're going to see the same people. Um, and even if you and if you don't know the same people, you're probably going to run into people who've worked with the people who know you. Yeah. So if if you have a reputation, like I literally got a job in part because one, my previous manager was handpicking me to bring in, and like four of the people there worked at a company that I had worked at and had a good reputation there. So it was mm-hmm. just like everybody wanted me in. So it was. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so it can the, your that, reputation old... can help or hurt you in oh, the yeah. industry. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and uh, trust me, if we if we're talking about more stories, we got uh, we got more stories of people who made reputations. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, oh yeah. man, you know what? I just thought of one. I, I'll save that. <laughs> we'll save it for. I'll save that time. for next time. That was a good one. We were just <laughs> we were just talking about it the other day at work. Did it involve a company party? Yes. <laughs> I think I know who you're talking about. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. I, yeah. Com- yeah. Oh my. I'll save that one. <laughs> yes. That's a good. That one. definitely deserves its own thing. Because, uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, like you said, games is small, so it's especially true. Be nice to the people you see on the way up, because they're the same people you're going to see on the way down. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and that's why you know a couple people, uh, stuff like um, McNamara from Team Bondi. Uh, pretty much, if he tried to move to the Bay Area and start a company, he probably would not get very far. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, and one of the reasons he was able to keep people around was because he, in um, where he was in Australia, there there wasn't much competition for the talent. Mm-hmm. So he could be a horrible boss and still get talent. Mm-hmm. And even then, he was really churning through his talent. <laughs> Yeah. Which is part of why L.A. Noir took forever. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that might be another story for another time. Yeah. Yeah. So, Marco, thanks for joining me. I know it was a bit of a late notice, but uh, no nice problem. to be able to call on a friend. Mm-hmm. Well, it's a pleasure as always. Yep. Okay, so that's going to be it for us. If you have anything you'd like to hear us talk about, you can always email me at kinetic at enthusiacs.com. That's K-Y-N-E-T-Y-K. And we'll see you here next week for the next Behind the Line article. And I hope to see you in another two weeks for the next Behind the Line radio. See you next time, everybody. Radio is presented by Enthusiacs.com. For more podcasts, Let's Plays, articles, videos, reviews, and more, visit us at Enthusiacs.com. Also, send us a comment on Twitter at Enthusiacs. View us on YouTube, channel Enthusiacs, and like us on Facebook, Enthusiacs.